All right, so Matt, what kind of horse only comes out at night? Hmm. Uh, horse that only comes out at night. I don't know. Nightmares. Get it, mare? Oh, man. I get it. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Hey, I'm doing all right. Uh, after your Laffy Taffy rapper joke. <laughs> I thought it was decent. It wasn't the worst I've had. I've, I've had some pretty foul jokes, and that wasn't that wasn't uh, half as bad as some of them. Yeah, yeah. It's, this is true, but it does sound like something you'd get on the inside of a candy wrapper. Yeah, it, it certainly wasn't my best. <laughs> It's the end of the popsicle stick, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I should have just, the punchline should have been, wonder what she calls her tests, and then left it at that. (laughs) I'm just going to use that as the punchline for every joke I have (laughs) from now on. (laughs) And if you guys haven't heard that joke, go back and find it. That, That was a good joke. I think that was the best one out of all of them. I, I think it's gotten the most uh, the most listener likes from it. So, um, real quick, we want to go. Uh, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. Uh, you can find other shows to listen to. And if you ever are listening to a show and you're like, if those doofuses can make a show, I can too. You may feel that way about our show, but don't tell us if that's the case. But if you if you ever feel that way, Podbelly has some tips and tricks and stuff for you to learn how, you know, to ease more easily do the show. So go check them out, podbelly.com. We also want to thank tonight's sponsor, Magic Spoon. Um, we'll talk more about them later. Also, go check out patreon.com slash graveyard tales. We put up stuff. We try to do at least one episode weekly on there for everybody and then for our ten dollar uh patrons on there we give them the unedited video version of the show and it's ad free so we don't edit the ads into it so you get an ad free video version of the episode every week if you're a ten dollar patron you can watch that so go over there to patreon.com slash graveyard tales and check it out yeah and uh the the unedited video of this show is probably worth checking out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> I will have to edit some, but not much. Uh, some. <laughs> there's just some. some. Yeah, there's just some things we we probably shouldn't say in good company, and we consider you guys good company. So yeah. we'll cut a few of those <laughs> things out. But it's gonna the 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 beginning of this one is pretty interesting. So go there and check that out. Become a ten dollar patron if you're not already. Now, Matt, I I told you about this. I sent you a screenshot of it, but uh, yeah. We haven't talked about it yet, and I thought it would be fun to talk about this on here. You know, you get spam emails 
uh, often. Um, I get all the time. Yeah, I get a lot to my personal. We get a lot to the the graveyard tales page. This was a new one for me. This came from Kevin Lamb, and I'm giving his name because a I don't think it's a real name, and b if it is. You deserve this for this email. So Kevin Lamb sends this to me real early one morning. Don't attempt to reach law bodies. They will not be able to handle the situation. I'm a foreigner. Now closely and completely go through the warning. Conversely, the effect may be irrevocable. Your jerks off have been filmed with the help of my program. One of its opportunities is switching on a web camera of a target distantly. I also have downloaded all contacts from your electronic mail and accessed to your social networking sites. And I'm reading it just like it's written here. I'm not going to clarify in greater detail how it occurred. I'm going to give you a tip. Watch out for doubtful sites and antivirus got to be always updated, but these activities not necessarily can save your device in the file. My requirements. So there is a file attached. I did not open the file. Um, <laughs> Good idea. I'm not that stupid. I'm, I may be dumb, but I'm not that stupid. But don't attempt to reach law bodies. I mean, <laughs> how many movies has this guy watched? Don't attempt to uh, contact the police. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. th- this is ridiculous. I just, it would be cool if it if it came to you and it was in a typeface that made it look like they had cut letters out of a magazine right. and pasted them together. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, if you do not respond, we're holding your canary hostage and, and we will send one <laughs> feather per day that you don't respond. But, I mean, have you gotten anything like that? I know we get a lot of spam stuff, but anything like that? I've heard of people get um, getting like threatening stuff like that before, but... I, mean, I don't know that I've ever gotten one that's threatening. I've I've gotten ones that were obviously ads um, that would install spamware on your computer, you know, right. to run even more ads on top of what you're trying to get accomplished. Um, but I don't know that I've ever gotten one that was direct that way. But I am so terrible at checking email with any kind of regularity. That's true. Unless I know I need to be looking for something, I just, I'm just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there. It piles up. You know, if you, you look at my work email on my phone, it says like the the, the bubble is as wide as the dadgum app. <laughs> you know. 40,212. How do you have this many? And I'm like, because I never read them. That's why. Dude, I don't read half of my emails either, but I have to clear out that notification. Like, I, I cannot stand to have numbers on the top of a uh, an icon yeah. on my phone. So, man, it don't it don't bother me, obviously. Yeah, obviously, I'm not that obsessive about it. Yeah. the The funny thing is, I, I'm paranoid enough that my webcam does get covered. Like when I'm yeah. when it's not in use, it does get covered. So I'm like, well, you'd be seeing a sticky note. So good for you. But I just think it's funny. He, he, my demands are in the uh, the file attached. Please open the file. So you mean you typed all this other stuff, but you couldn't just type your demands out? You had to put that yeah, in a file? That's right. So no. But if if any of y'all have gotten a weird, like, threatening email like that, I, I would just be interested. I've heard one or two other people talk about that. Somebody said, um, heard somebody talking about they had a 
death threat that way. It's like, I am Hitman. I have bounty out on you. <laughs> but if you send me money, I will stop and not do the hit. And I will take out the person that contracted me, something like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's the next one I'm going to get. So, mm-hmm. but that's enough BS. Like I said, send me a, <laughs> send me a message or, or send me a nice email um, to counteract that one if you've ever gotten something like that. But... Okay, Adam, let's take a moment and talk about tonight's sponsor, Magic Spoon. Now, I'd like to say that growing up, cereal was a big part of my diet, um, but it still is. <laughs> and yeah. I, I mean, I, I love cereal. It's it's my favorite midnight snack. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a kid, you know, grabbing a big bowl of, of a fun, sugary cereal was... Uh, was always the thing I, I I I just I looked forward to it, but as an adult I understand that getting up in the middle of the night and and eating loads and loads of sugar and carbs is probably not the best thing for my health. So you know, <laughs> but when I when I look at trying to cut down on carbs, I realize that cereal falls off of the list of things I can have. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. So. You know, we're, we're all trying to be a little bit healthier, you know, and, and to have a healthy breakfast. It doesn't mean that you can't have the, the same fun cereal that you did as a kid. Now, Magic Spoon is that cereal. OK, they have the amazing flavors you love, but without all the bad stuff you don't want. That's right. I mean, it's. It, like you said, it, it, you can't just relegate this to being a kid because I'm a big cereal eater, too. I, I'm a big adult cereal eater, and, and I think it's great. But like you said, your tastes have to change a little bit. And the cool thing about Magic Spoon is that there's zero sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving, and only 140 calories a serving, which is great i mean go find another cereal that's like that you're not going to um it's keto friendly it's gluten free it's grain free soy free low carb and gmo free so it fits into most any diet that you're on and you and i both matt we we go through the the low carb the keto stuff back and forth and try to eat healthier and this just makes it easier to do that and they have a variety pack that you can try that has four flavors cocoa fruity frosted and peanut butter and i'm going to tell you right now that that cocoa is good yeah the fruity is good too those are my favorites yeah we've we've tried all of these fruity is yeah i mean if 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 you're a fan of the fruity type cereals you're gonna love this and you're gonna love it more than just for the flavor you're gonna love it because you're you're not eating all of that carbs sugar and all that other stuff you know, you're, you're really beginning to eat healthy. Right. And they give a recommendation here that you can mix cocoa and peanut butter together and it tastes like a peanut butter cup. Hey, there you go. So if you've ever wanted to eat a peanut butter cup for breakfast, give that a shot. And our listeners can go to magicspoon.com slash grave to grab a variety pack and try it today. Now, be sure to use our promo code GRAVE, that's G-R-A-V-E, at checkout 
to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Yeah, so remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash grave and use our promo code grave that's g-r-a-v-e to save five dollars matt that's enough of that so tell me what are we talking about tonight brother okay so tonight we're going to discuss probably Two of the most polarizing people oh, yeah. in the world of the paranormal investigations, any any of that. Um, we're going to talk about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm-hmm. Now, I would say most of our listeners probably at least have heard of Ed and Lorraine. I would dare say that, you know. Probably probably eighty to ninety percent of our listeners know exactly who they are. Um, if you if you enjoy horror movies, you definitely know who they are. Right. But you you may not know much more about them beyond what you learned in the movies. Well, tonight we're going to dig into their history. We're going to talk about some of their more famous cases and kind of debate back and forth on. You know, were these guys legitimate? Um, you know, and they, these this pair outdates. You know, all, all of our all of our modern ghost hunters mm-hmm. that we know from television. I mean right. these these were the OG. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, as far as becoming, uh, you know, reaching some level of notoriety or may, maybe even celebrity status. Um. They were it, right? And uh, we're gonna we're gonna dig into what they're all about. And if you haven't heard of these two, you're gonna know when we start digging into the cases they investigated. Yep, you'll you'll figure out real quick why we're talking about them. Um, but like Matt said, they're very polarizing, and I know for a fact we've got people in the group that don't like them. Uh, we've got people in the group that do like them. Um, so don't scream at your. Uh, headphones or your car speakers until we're done. <laughs> um, just let us get through it before you uh, start screaming here. Now, as always, go check out our sources down at the bottom of the show notes. We've got all our sources where we gathered all this information from, and there's more on there that we left out, but you can find, you know, the articles that we're reading from and stuff like that down in the show notes. So go check that out. Now, let's get into it. Despite searching Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, I guess it's because their last name is Warren. When you type them into some search engine or whatever, you get a lot of stuff about Elizabeth Warren. So and if you don't know who Elizabeth Warren is, you can find out some stuff about her while you're trying to search for Ed and Lorraine Warren. <laughs> so <laughs> let's take a quick look at their early life, um, you know, kind of before they got into the spotlight and then leading up to it. Now, Ed Warren Minnie was born on September 7th, 1926. September 7th is my birthday, so he was born on the same day I was just quite a few years before me, you know. A few. Yeah, just a couple. 
you know, four or five years before me. Um, Lorraine Rita Warren was born January 31st, 1927. Both of them are originally from Bridgeport, Connecticut. And Lorraine attended the Laurelton Hall, a Catholic uh, girls high school in Milford, Connecticut. Now, Ed Lorraine first met in 1943 at a colonial theater where uh, Ed worked as an usher. Both were about 16 years old at the time, and they ended up getting married a couple years later. About 18, I think, is when they got married. So they got married young. Ed Warren, at the age of 17, served with the United States Navy during World War II. Now, a few months later, after he shipped out, the ship that Ed was on collided with an oil tanker in the North Atlantic. A fire erupted, and all of the men on the ship had to jump overboard. Now, as Ed was in the icy water, he prayed for help and was soon rescued. And he refers to this later as a near-death experience. Um, But after that experience, he returned home and asked Lorraine to marry him. So that was just kind of that thing, you know, almost died. I'm not going to wait around any longer. Life short. Let's get married kind of thing. But apparently, you know, that had lasting effects on him into his adulthood. And I mean, it would me too. That's exactly right. Now, immediately after the war, he signed up for painting classes where he learned how to paint, and he actually became a really good, like, painter of, not classical art, but kind of in that vein. He he was very, very good at landscapes and all that kind of stuff, and during his early life, up to that, uh, up to this point, he'd been fascinated with demonology. And he had been kind of teaching himself to become a demonologist from the time he was young um, because Ed and Lorraine, they both kind of got into it at an early age. Yeah. And, you know, it's what you do. It's it's interesting. It's a it's an it's an off topic, especially right. for for then. And, you know, it it's interesting. Right. Even if your goal isn't to become a demonologist, when you start looking into this stuff, it is very interesting. It really is. And I mean, it, it's like kind of like Matt and I, we get into stuff and, and you get involved in it and you start learning things and you've got to keep going. You know, we may go back after shows and look up more stuff about it just to because we're interested in it. Um, but like I said, for Ed and Lorraine, it, it, their fascination with the paranormal started early as a boy. Ed grew up in a house that he believed to be haunted. So he kind of got an early start with that, kind of like Matt. He was in a house that he believed to be haunted. Stuff was happening. So he kind of got into investigating that stuff himself. And Lorraine began to notice her clairvoyant abilities at a young age as well. Um, Now, as a child, Ed recalled doors opening on their own and strange lights starting to form in his house. So like little light balls starting to form. Um, Lorraine also recalled her first experiences around the age of nine, and she remembered seeing auras around people, but assumed, like a lot of people do with this ability, that it it was normal, that, that everybody saw it. Yeah, the, yeah well, everybody sees this. This isn't unusual. Right, and you hear that all the time. It's like, oh, you can't see auras? I've seen them my whole life. So she kind of felt that same way. Now, we mentioned that um, Ed kind of picked up the painting thing. Well, the reason we mentioned that is because the Warrens first began like by making paintings, which they sold and used 
the proceeds to start up their paranormal investigation business. So it was kind of a way to get money for doing that. And they gradually started gaining entrance to haunted places by presenting gifts of the paintings of these houses that they made to the owners of these houses. So it kind of helped them get audience with the owners and entrance into the homes in order to do their investigation. So if they knew this place was haunted, Ed would do a painting of it. And then, hey, look, I painted your house. Now let's talk about it. And they would become friends with them and then be able to get in to do the investigation of their house. So, I mean, it, it's a, a very smart thing to do if you have that kind of ability. That's right. Now, in doing this, they began to gain popularity around their area and the surrounding areas. They were known as investigators of the paranormal. So people began to call them whenever they had outbreaks, quote unquote, of phenomena or strange activities. And they worked on such projects with other light mediums, clergymen, and Catholic priests who actually practiced exorcisms. Um, in some of these cases, people, objects, and even some of the priests were said to be possessed. So even in an early age, they were getting into some heavy stuff. What, what's a light medium? I, Is that I, a small? <laughs> yeah, it, it's like a small. Um, it's a small medium, and they escape from jail, so they're at large. There's a small medium <laughs> at large. Uh, I don't know. Um, the article had light medium, so I guess it's like a diet medium, like you know the. I just I just dabble in it. Yeah, a it, bit. right. I, I just kind of do I'm it. It's not a, my. I'm not a full blown medium. Right, right, and that's the only thing I can think of because I've not heard the term before. A light medium, and nor have I. Yeah, and it, it the article mentioned it, so I thought I'd put it in there, but. Basically, it's mediums. I guess it it's part time mediums. Don't quit your day job, medium. Right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like we're, I, I'm not good enough to do this full time, so I want to keep. <laughs> I think your I think your house is uh, is haunted by the spirit of a young boy, and I have some Amway products out here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Uh, so this vacuum that I'm selling, it's got a, a flashlight on the front of it so that you can vacuum in the dark. Yeah. If, and why anyone would want to do that? Yeah, I don't know. It's the same reason why mowers have headlights. Because right? <laughs> I want to row it, mow it at night? Yeah, I, right. Okay, whatever. Right. Well, in 1952, the Warrens established the New England Society for Psychic Research with the sole aim of treating possessed people. Now, this society is the oldest haunting group in New England. So it's been around for many, many years. Now, Ed and Lorraine were both devout Roman Catholics, and Ed was eventually recognized as the only Catholic lay expert on demonology, which I think that that's pretty cool because, mm-hmm. you know, the Catholic um, diocese don't really recognize anybody outside of their um, their their own clergymen. Yeah, exactly. As as uh, demonologists or experts on demonology, but yeah. apparently Ed got that uh, that title. In fact, they they typically uh, try to dissuade people from doing this. Oh yeah, yep. it's like you know you, you shouldn't you shouldn't be toying around with something you don't fully understand. Right. So for for Ed to actually be recognized. He knew his stuff. Right. He was doing something right. 
Now, their devout faith included an inherent belief in the supernatural and a world beyond. The Warrens worked closely with the Catholic Church during multiple exorcisms, and their faith played an important part in their investigations. The Warrens said that they tried to rule out all logical or physical explanations before agreeing to take a case. So they didn't just, you know, according to them and and others, they didn't just jump in without trying to rule out other possibilities. Now, they did not just take anyone's word when they said they were experiencing paranormal activity. Ed would go to the scene and use every avenue available to him to rule out all logical explanations before moving forward with the case. So apparently, you know, I am again, there's many people who have many different thinkings on them, but according to them and people close to them, they didn't just jump headlong into something without first doing some research about it and making sure that there was something legit happening there. And they had a lot of cases, a lot of famous cases, and we got some of those for you to, uh, that we're going to discuss, too. Yeah. So, you know, like, like we said, the, the Warrens, when they started this, they, they, they were legitimate, at least in, in their mind, and they, they went into it open and wanting to help right we're you know we're not saying that they changed from that but um you know the the way they presented themselves over the years did indeed change but some of these cases you're you're gonna know um i mean there's been plenty of movies made uh about the cases that ed lorraine warren investigated there's been there's been movies made specifically about them, mm-hmm. and you know if you're unfamiliar with them, we're gonna we're gonna bring them up here briefly uh, as they uh, as the cases um, have had movies made about them. There's actually one big documentary. Um, I forgot the name, um, but we can try to link to it or something like that. Right about just Ed and Lorraine that discussed all of their case, kind of like we're doing here, but they did a, a documentary about them. Um, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. So the the first one is probably well, it's it's at least one of the most famous. It's the Annabelle doll case. Yep. Now, uh, as we've mentioned before, the the actual Annabelle doll is is a Raggedy Ann doll that's named Annabelle, um, and it's got. Um, it it resides in the occult museum uh at the at the Warrens home now now both of the Warrens have have passed on um but the occult museum is is still in operation and you can still visit i i couldn't see that this is something that's just randomly open to the public but um there have been plenty of media personnel that have gone in there and and right. filmed within it um, we're going to talk more about the museum later, but the Annabelle doll, the case that it's in has a warning sign on it that says positively do not open. Now the doll itself doesn't really look all that scary to some, um, but according to Tony Sparrow, who is the Warren's son-in-law, he says that doll 
is what I would be the most frightened of. Yeah. So according to the Warrens, um, a 28-year-old nurse who received the doll as a gift in 1968 noticed that it started to change positions. Then she and her roommate started finding parchment paper with written messages saying things like, help me, help us. And, you know, if that's not weird enough, mm-hmm. the girls claimed that they didn't even have parchment paper in their house. Oh, yeah. So where was this coming from? Yeah. But the doll would then start showing up in different rooms and leaking blood. You, If you have a doll that's leaking blood, you got to know there's a problem. Yeah. I mean, honestly, my first... <laughs> My first thought, if it was leaking blood, would be to open it up. And, like, yeah. is there something inside here that has blood that is now leaking? Like, yeah. so that doll would have gotten cut up, which probably would have led to worse things for me. Like, you know, my dumbass would get super haunted at that point, you know, because <laughs> I'd cut, cut up this open doll. This haunted doll. Yeah. And Man. then you go from haunted to super haunted or uber haunted and. <laughs> Then I'm screwed the oh, rest of my life. Ever want to be uber haunted? No, don't go full uber haunted. <laughs> now, not really sure where to turn. The two women found a medium who said the doll was being occupied by the spirit of a young girl named Annabelle Higgins. Now, that's when Ed and Lorraine took an interest in the case and contacted the women. Now, after evaluating the doll, they came to the immediate conclusion that the doll itself was not, in fact, possessed, but manipulated by an inhuman presence. Hmm. I don't really understand what the difference is. I, yep. I, 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 I guess the, the doll was more of a vehicle for a, a presence that was attached to the doll, that yeah. something didn't actually enter the doll and... You know, it was it was more or less of a, of an entity that you couldn't see that was using the doll as a demonic an marionette. Expression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in a 2014 interview, uh, with Lorraine Warren, um, that includes a look at the real doll. Um, she explains that the evaluation was that the spirit in the doll was looking to possess a human host. So the Warrens took it from the women to keep them safe. While driving away with the doll, the brakes in their car failed several times. Hmm. So they pulled over and doused the doll in holy water. And they said after that, the car trouble stopped. Now, according to the Warrens, Annabelle the doll continued to move around their house on her own too. So they locked her in a glass case and sealed it with a binding prayer. But even now, visitors to the Warren's Museum say that Annabelle continues to cause mischief and may even take revenge on skeptics. They said one couple of non-believers reportedly got into a motorcycle accident soon after visiting the museum, with the survivors saying that they had been laughing about Annabelle just before the crash. Now, that's I've heard that story before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you start looking into, into Annabelle, uh, you'll hear that story. 
but you you know if you've never if you've never looked into this and you've seen the movie you really you don't realize that the actual annabelle is very innocent looking and is oh, raggedy yeah. ann for crying out loud yep so i guess in the movie they had to make the doll a lot more menacing you know yeah. and so using raggedy ann was probably not the way to go yeah theatrics they needed to scare up the doll some there so <laughs> Plus, you know, you can imagine, you know, I guess Raggedy Ann and Andy are not around anymore. No. But, you know, somebody somebody owns the rights to that. And we're like, you're not going to put us in this movie. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, I mean, the uh, son-in-law said, you know, out of everything, that would be what he's most afraid of. And, And if what said about the Annabelle doll is true, then for me, that probably would be the thing I would fear the most out of everything they've got in their uh, museum. You know, it, it seems to be the most actively menacing thing that they have. Yeah. Okay. The next case we're going to look at is the Perone family. Now, after the Annabelle case, it didn't take Ed and Lorraine Warren long to find more high profile cases. Now, with Perone family, uh, the Perone family served as the inspiration behind the film The Conjuring. So that's probably a lot of people's first introduction to Ed and Lorraine. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Warrens saw it as a, as a very real and a very terrifying situation. So in January of 1971, the Perone family, Carolyn and Roger, and their five daughters moved to a large farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island. The family noticed strange occurrences happening right away that only got worse over time. Now, it started with a missing broom, but it escalated into full-fledged angry spirits very quickly. Now, in researching the home, Carolyn claimed to discover that the same family had owned it for eight generations. Now, during that time, many of uh, of the family members had died by drowning, murder, hanging. I mean, no, uh, no real. Just hey, they just died a nice, peaceful, natural death yeah. at home. No, of course not. You know, how many families have that much going on? Yeah, right. So when the Warrens were brought in, they claimed the home was haunted by a spirit named Bathsheba. Now, in fact, oh, a woman. What's that? I just said, oh, geez, Bathsheba, that's got some <laughs> historical connotations to it there. Now, in, in fact, a woman named Bathsheba Sherman, Bathsheba Sherman. Yeah, that say doesn't that, really fit, does it? Say that 10 together. times fast. It, yeah. it, it wasn't her maiden name, I'm sure. Probably not. Um, but Bathsheba, now I can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> Bathsheba Sherman had lived on the property in the late 1800s. She was a Satanist suspected of involvement in the murder of a neighbor's child. So oh, a real a real sweetheart of a, of a gal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love to be her neighbor. Yeah. You know, she was the one that you wanted at the ladies' auxiliary, I assure you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She didn't get invited to bingo. But whoever the spirit was, she perceived herself to be the mistress of the house, and she resented the competition that uh, Mrs. Perone posed for that 
position. Now, according to Andrea Perone, the family encountered several other spirits in the house that made their beds levitate and smelled like rotting flesh. Now, that Jeez. rotting flesh smell is something that we have seen many times in sure home, home uh, infestations, um, you know, where we talk about poltergeists. You know, mm-hmm. that, that rotting flesh uh, smell is very, very common yep. in these stories. Now, the family would avoid going into the basement because of a cold, stinking presence. A that was cold, just, cold, stinking presence. That was just Uncle Timmy. They didn't like yeah. him. It's different than a hot, stinking presence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But the things that went on there were just so incredibly frightening, according to Lorraine. The Warrens made frequent trips to the house over the years that the Perone family lived there. And again, I I always have to bring this up. If this stuff is going on, why are you continuing to live there? Yep, I know. I mean, I mean, I, I guess, you know, we've talked about this before. You, you you know, you get stuck. This is our home. We've invested yeah. all we have. We have to stick this out. And I'm you like, just don't you have don't the money to stick out nothing. Yeah, you don't have the money to, <laughs> to get out and do something. I would figure something out. I mean, just being perfectly honest, I, I would figure out a way, however all, I had to do it. There's you always know. a way out. Yeah, some I mean, quick claim always. something or whatever, you know. Just yeah. give me what the home's worth and, and give me out of it, you know. Yeah. There's people willing to buy it all the time. Yeah. But unlike the movie, the the Warrens did not perform an exorcism. Instead, they performed a seance that had Carolyn Perone speaking in tongues before she was allegedly thrown across the room by spirits. See, that to me would be scarier than what was in the movie. Oh, absolutely. If they put that in the movie, the seance with the speaking in tongues and, and the moving of a full human body, that would be freaky. Yeah. So obviously shaken by the experience and concerned for his wife's mental health, Roger Perone asked the Warrens to leave and to stop investigating the house. Now, according to Andrea Perone's account, the family finally saved up enough to move out of the house in 1980 and the haunting stopped. So that means that they dealt with this for nine years. That's a long time. Years. They dealt with this. I mean, for, for these children. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, this, this pushed some of them either into or very close to adulthood. Mm -hmm. So, a large chunk of their childhood was spent dealing with these kind of hauntings, which I would imagine if, if, if the Perones are legit, this was terrifying. Oh yeah. I mean, you can imagine how horrible it would be as an adult. Imagine what it's like as a child. Yep. That would have um, lasting effects on the children. It, It would, they'd, I mean, that's why, you know, I'll say one thing about it now, but that's why I find it hard to believe stuff like that can be the family faking it or the family just wanting attention. When it goes on like that for, you know, 
over five years, mm-hmm. somebody would get tired of it. Some one of the kids would right. uh, say mm-hmm. something that they were, you know, dad scaring me with his walking up and down the hall, beating and banging on stuff, or you know yeah. what I mean. And the the kids would let it slip, or you'd just get so you'd feel so bad about doing this to your children that you yeah. would stop the farce. So I I tend to maybe believe it a little more, put a little more validity onto it when yeah. you have the kids involved and it goes on for so long and the whole family is dealing with it. It's not just one person, you know, then I'm like, eh, maybe, maybe there is some more legitimacy in it. Yeah. And you know, if you're a parent, it's hard enough to pull a prank with, with one of your kids and then not give it away. Oh, okay? yeah. I mean, you know, they get excited, especially when they're younger, and they they want to let the other person in on it. I yeah. mean, they, they want to be a part of this, but they also have a really hard time holding their water when it comes to keeping keeping a secret to, to pull a prank. Now, yep. if you're going to ask a child to go along with something like this, Mm-hmm. For that length of time, you're right, because I I know I I have uh, I I have three daughters that have all you know either gone through teenage years or are going into them now, mm-hmm. and I assure you, if you're trying to convince a teenager, a young teenager, to do something that you want them to do, and they decide that I'm going to do the opposite, they're going to blow the whistle on you. Oh, sure. Yeah. So they'll think you're not cool and they they don't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. So out of the five Perone children, for for none of them to have come out and said, hey, this is all a joke. Mm-hmm. It's none of it's happening. We're playing a big time joke on you for yep. almost 10 years. I, something something legit is about it. Yep. I just that's I mean, what I, I'm saying. It may have been sensationalized. Some of the stories may have been exaggerated, um, but I, I would almost guarantee that something weird happened yeah. during the course uh, of the time that they lived in that house. Yeah, there was something going on. Now, the next one is probably the most famous uh, case that Ed and Lorraine Warren hadn't ever investigated. This is the Amityville house. Oh, yeah. And I'd say... Just about everyone is familiar with with this house. I mean, mm-hmm. the story is forty years old or more, um, and it's probably their claim to fame. So, in November of nineteen seventy four, a twenty three year old Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr., who was the oldest child of the DeFeo family, murdered his entire family in their beds with a thirty five caliber rifle. Now, this case became the catalyst for the claim that spirits haunted the Amityville house. And of course, in 1976, George and Kathy Lutz and their two sons moved into the Long Island house and soon believed that a demonic spirit was living there with them. Now, George says he witnessed his wife transform into a 90-year-old woman and levitate above the bed. Oh, wow. Now, they claim to see slime seeping out of the walls and a pig-like creature that menaced them. 
And that even was just more, Uncle Phil. Even more unsettling. Even more unsettling than a pig-like creature. Then even more unsettling than Uncle Phil walking through the halls. That's right. Knives flew off the counter, pointing right at members of the family. Yeah, that that would okay. freak you out. That's more unsettling, sure. You know, well, I think I think it's right on par. If yeah. I saw a, a pig-like creature and then I got attacked by flying knives, I don't know which I would find worse. I, yeah, I know. I know. Maybe I'm, I'm with you there. Maybe the pig. <laughs> I don't know. You know. Okay, I got stabbed. Okay, sure. But there was a big giant pig in the hallway just yesterday. So right. I think you're losing your your grip here, House. You you started out big and yeah. you can't stick up what's, to it. So what's next? Yeah. Yeah. Quit trying to top yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The family would walk around with a crucifix reciting the Lord's Prayer, but that didn't help. Now, one of Lorraine Warren's favorite investigative techniques was to lay on the lay back on the beds in a house, which she claimed allowed her to detect and absorb the psychic energy from the home. Now, one night, which was their final night there, they say banging as loud as a marching band emanated throughout the entire house. After 28 days, they couldn't take it anymore, and they fled the home. Now, Ed and Lorraine Warren visited the home 20 days after the Lutzes left. Now, according to the Warrens, Ed was physically pushed to the floor, and Lorraine felt an overwhelming sense of a demonic presence. Along with their research team, they claimed to capture a picture of a spirit in the form of a little boy on the stairway. Now, you can, you can find this photograph, and yeah. you, can, you can be your own judge. Um, yeah, but I want remember, a picture of the pig, the the big yeah. pig man. Yeah, that's, that's what, what I, I want to picture. See, of. But um, look, you know, even in the even in the seventies, photos could be doctored. So yeah, true. You know, take it take it with a grain of salt. Uh, it is what it is. It's a it's a photo of something paranormal, and we've talked about that before. You've got to give me more than just a photo. I mean, the photo can be weird, and I, you know, if if you Matt give me a photo and you say this was not doctored, I'm gonna believe it because I know you and I trust you. You know, if if Ashley tells me that, I'm gonna trust her. But somebody else, I I, I can't take it on face value that nothing was done to this photo or that the conditions they were taking the photo in are what they're telling me the conditions were. Exactly. Now, little Timmy, the word is phantasmagoria. P-H-A-N-T-A-S-M-A-goria? Close enough. Well done. Hey, somebody get that handsome little man his prize. Little Timmy has won unlimited answers to all the paranormal questions his little tiny heart can handle, such as, Can ghosts stink? Is Bigfoot my dad? And I want to steal my cousin's beauty with black magic? Is that possible? This is Kevin Houston and Sam, your three hosts for Phantasmagoria. And I don't know how I'm supposed to know who your dad is. Join us every week on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for a new podcast that talks about, well, everything? If so, you might want to try out my new podcast, 
Because I Want to Know, the show where I get into people's heads and discuss how the choices in their lives have affected them. We could be talking about anything from true crime, the paranormal, or, I don't know, metal detecting. I'm going to get into the nitty-gritty of what makes people do what they do, a kind of stalking you just can't do on Facebook. So join me each Monday as I sit down and have a chat with some amazing and fascinating guests going through seemingly ordinary lives. Now, the story became so high profile that it launched its own conspiracy theories, books, films, and, you know, the, the one film that everyone knows, uh, which is the, uh, the 1979 movie, The Amityville Horror. Mm-hmm. Now, some skeptics believe that the Lutzes fabricated their story. <clears throat> now, the couple did pass a lie detector test with flying colors. Now, their son, Daniel, admits that he still has nightmares about the horrifying things that he experienced in the Amityville house. Now, over the years, um, we've had people ask us about this, um, if, if we would ever consider doing a show about it. And we've talked about um, doing a show on the Amityville house. It's and it's one of those things where I, I don't know that we would get anywhere other than just sharing the information that's out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there's not much more conclusions we can come to. Because there are mountains of of information that argue both sides. Mm-hmm. You know, there is tons and tons of documentation that explain why the Lutzes are telling the truth and, you know, that this actually happened to them and, and that this story should be believed and all of these things occurred within that house. Mm-hmm. There is also a ton of information that says this is a load of crap. Yeah. And it was a money grab from the get-go and, you know, the Lutzes' behavior was not consistent and they did things that made you believe they were just looking to to cash in on this. So I mean, honestly, you you go through enough. Um, if you if you take both sides of it, you're going to be left with yeah. Well, I still don't know. Yeah, and I got two things uh, there. First, I I apologize if you can hear it. Dallas is behind me snoring, so I don't know if y'all can hear that. I don't know if it's picking up, but he's snoring really loud. So I wanted to get that out there. I'm not making weird bodily noises. That's Dallas. Uh, two, on the lie detector test, you said they they passed the lie detector test. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing with lie detectors. They're not admissible in court for a reason. And I've read enough books by, you know, these special investigators and FBI guys and all that talking about their their time, you know, hunting serial killers, yada, yada, yada. The thing with a lie detector test is you don't necessarily have to be telling the truth. You just have to believe what you're saying is true. Right. So you can be lying out your booty hole. And as long as you believe it, and as long as, or as long as you can keep your, your heart rate steady, your, you know, your galvanic skin response steady, all that kind of stuff. As long as that stays neutral, then you'll pass. So they're not admissible in court for a reason. So the the Lutzes 
Lutz's mm-hmm. could have been going through this enough that, you know, making up the story enough that they believe themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, and talking about kids, kids can tell a lie so many times that they believe it themselves. Yeah. Well, hell, and, adults can do that too. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, and, and adults too, but, um, you you tell yourself something is the way it is so many times, then you believe it and you'll pass a lie detector test. So the lie detector test holds no weight for me in that situation. Yeah. Um, but like you said, there's mountains of evidence for for and against it being legitimate. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I completely agree. That's the reason that Matt and I have not done the Amityville house yet. Now we yeah. may one day do it and just lay out the pros and cons and give you our thoughts, but there's not anything new that we're really going to be able to bring to the table. Right. And, um, it is interesting to point out that the people that moved into the house after the Lutzes, uh, never, never claimed that anything happened. Right. Um, which know. even then, I mean, it may not be the house. It could have been the Lutzes if we're saying it happened, you know? Yeah. So the next one is the Enfield Poltergeist, which we have also mentioned on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in August of 1977, the Hodgson family reported strange things happening in their house in Enfield, England. Now, knocking came from all over the house, causing the, Hodge, the Hodgson's to think perhaps burglars were prowling around their home. They called the police to investigate, and the officer who arrived is said to have witnessed a chair rising and moving on its own. I mean, how, cop how retired often does the next that day. happen? Yeah. We're going to call the cops, and something paranormal is actually going to happen in front of the cop. Right. That, right. Not, you know, that's good. You know, it's like, you know, when you take your car to the mechanic and it quit make, quits making that noise, you know. 100%, oh. yeah. No, like I swear on the way over here, it sounded like a cat was stuck in my fan belt (laughs) and I get here, you look at it and it's fine. Right. Now, other times Legos and marbles flew across the room and were hot to the touch afterwards. Folded clothes would leap off tabletops to fly around the room. Lights flickered, furniture spun around and the sound of barking dogs emanated from empty rooms. I have that. Yeah. Then inexplicably, a fireplace ripped itself out of the wall, attracting the attention of paranormal investigators from around the world, including Ed and Lorraine Warren. Now, the Warrens visited Enfield in 1978, and they were convinced that it was a real poltergeist case. Now, those who deal with supernatural day in and day out know the phenomena are there. And there's no doubt about it. That was a quote from Ed Warren. Then two years after they started, the mysterious hauntings abruptly stopped. However, the Hodgson family maintained that they didn't do anything to stop it. So they were they were merely just victims in this case. You know, right, they, right. You know, there was no major exorcism or cleansing of the house or anything. It just decided after two years, it was done. And got bored with them. Well, you know, it's, 
it it does it certainly doesn't end like most poltergeist hauntings. No. Um you no. know they usually go on and on and on and on and on. Um you know but for it to stop as abruptly as it begun it, it is kind of strange but if you look into poltergeist cases this is one that's going to come up every single time and it's probably one of the most famous poltergeist cases out there. Um and like I said, when we did mention it in our Poltergeist episode, so if you want to hear a little bit more about it, um, you can go check that one out. Right. We, now, we've touched on several of these cases, uh, even yeah. if we haven't done a full episode on them. Yeah, but this next one, we did do a full episode on it. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you want to hear more about this, you can go check out uh, episode 95, of uh graveyard tales and you can you look that more. up you didn't know that off the top I of your head sure as hell did <laughs> i looked it up i couldn't remember what number it was oh yeah i me just either. remembered that we had done it yeah but this is this is the case of the smurl family um now just just as a recap the smurls moved into a double block house on chase street in west pitson pennsylvania in august of 1986 now, they claimed the premises was disturbed by a demon that caused loud noises and bad odors. Now, it threw their dog into a wall. It shook their mattresses, pushed one of their daughters down a flight of stairs, and physically and sexually assaulted family members on several occasions. Um, we go into more detail about those situations in, yep. in episode 95. Now, in 86 the family brought Ed and Lorraine Warren in to investigate. Now, according to Ed, the demon that inhabited the Smurls home was very powerful and it shook mirrors and furniture after they tried to persuade it to leave by playing religious music and praying. Now, Ed claimed he felt a drop in temperature and saw a dark mass form in the home and the demon once left a message on a mirror telling him to get out. But after months of investigation, uh, Ed Warren alleged that he had a number of audio tapes containing knocking and rapping caused by the demon. So Professor Paul Kurtz of State University of New York at Buffalo, and he was then the chairman of the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, said that the Warrens were not objective, independent, or impartial investigators, and he characterized the Smurls' claims as a, quote, hoax, charade, and a ghost story. Now, after the Smurls told the press that they were tired of this constant media bombardment, where they actually saw news vans and reporters camped out in front of their home, they released a book entitled The Haunted. Now, the book was written with help from Ed and Lorraine and newspaper writer Robert Curran. In 1987, Janet Smurl reported that despite assistance from the Reverend Joseph Adonisio and the Warrens, she still saw shadows and heard knocking. Now, after the the Smurl family moved to Wilkes Bar, Deborah Owens moved into the former Smurl home in 1988 and told reporters that she, quote, never encountered anything supernatural while living there. So, I mean, I mean, I can't I I don't remember what we said, but I I feel like just because the lady didn't experience anything after 
she moved in doesn't mean something didn't go on. You know what I mean? Because there's some people it's familial or you just happen to be the, the more sensitive person or something that they're attracted to you or you can see what's happening or you cause something to happen in the case of poltergeist and stuff like that. So the lady who moved in may, you know, she may not be sensitive enough to notice it or the entity just did not care about her at all. So why would you do that? You know, why would you mess with her? Well, and that's, that is pretty much what we said in that show. Um, but it makes sense because if you recall, um, there was essentially a succubus that mm-hmm. uh, appeared to Jack on multiple yeah. occasions and and assaulted him on multiple occasions. One of those occasions I remember occurring while he was at work. So he wasn't even in the house. Right. right. So that would that would lead you to believe that it wasn't necessarily the house. It was them. Yeah, because if if the house was where the entity was was attached, then when Jack was at work, he wouldn't have experienced. Should have been safe. Yeah, but for him to have experienced something at work, it it does again. If if you're buying into this story, it would make you believe that the entity was somehow attached to the family and not the home. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it would make sense that the the previous or the 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 uh, the later owners would not have experienced anything because, as Adam said, it whatever was there wasn't interested in them. Yep. So, you know those those are just a few of the cases, but probably the most high profile ones that Ed and Lorraine Warren had investigated over the years, and you know, with each case comes a little bit more outside speculation as to whether they're are they telling the truth are they truly going in there and investigating are they helping facilitate hoaxes um are are they somehow complicit in the development of these stories and how they're presented to the media for financial gain or just notoriety um it's hard to say but But over the but it is what's easy to say is over the years, Ed and Lorraine Warren have been involved in some of the most famous haunting cases that we have to date. Oh, and absolutely! They, they have they have visited um, so many of the most haunted places historically, you know, throughout the world, and by doing that, they have actually accumulated uh, a number of items that they have in the the Warren Occult Museum. And so and I, that I thought, fascinates me so much <laughs> like I know the, why do you want this stuff? I don't know, but I mean in a way I I would love to have something like they have, but it would not be at my home. It would be on another premises somewhere else, you know, rented storage unit, something like that, but something makes me gravitate to these weird items like that for some reason so this fascinates me to no end and you know that when you start digging into them do you not see the similarities between them and zach bagans oh 100 percent. yeah i mean he's he's just he's, about followed in their footsteps everything is demonic 
Mm-hmm. Okay. I was going to say, he's followed them like crazy. He collects these these items. He has his own museum in, in Las Vegas. You know, and he's got haunted items from all over the world. So he, he, he is, and I don't know, maybe that's just what you do when you when you decide this is going to be my life's work. Yep. Um, I'm going to collect all this stuff and, and I'm going to have it. But let's talk about a few of the things that Ed and Lorraine had put in, in their museum. One object of particular significance is a brick from the Borley Rectory, which is yep. considered to be the most haunted building in the United Kingdom. It's on our list of, of uh, episode topics to I do. I mean, it, it, you know, the stories from the Borley Rectory are, are horrifying. Mm-hmm. And although it's just a brick, the fact that they have it and it's from such a cursed location, that's scary enough. Yeah, but I kind of want one myself. I kind of want a brick. From, I, <laughs> I, I, I'll pass. Yeah, I'll, I'll take you, one. If you, you want, got one, you I'll take it. want a haunted house, build it with one of these bricks. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> now, the the aforementioned Perone family, uh, one of the spookiest elements from the movie The Conjuring was the mu- the music box, which was always uh, always kind of scary when it would appear on screen. Now, box itself, you know, would would play music randomly, um, but the actual box is actually in the Warren Occult Museum. Um, but it it has become a regular uh, regular uh, uh, appearance in in the movies in in the series right. of these films. Uh, this one I love the pearls of death. Now the pearls of death have not appeared in any of the Conjuring franchise, but they're notoriously the most dangerous item in the Warrens Museum. The pearls of death is a cursed necklace that is said to strangle those who wear them. With their former owner complaining of being choked while wearing them. Good grief. It's also yeah. a great band name. <laughs> Pearls right. of Death. <laughs> I'm but, I'm uh, I'm stealing that, so nobody take that. That's gonna be that's my right. next that's band. That's his. That's his. All right. But uh but yeah, they're also inside uh the Warren Occult Museum. Uh how about this one? The conjuring mirror. Now, despite it being called the conjuring mirror. Uh, this has really nothing to do with the movies either. Now, Tony Spera, who we mentioned before, is the Warren's son-in-law. Uh, he says that using these mirrors is a form of, he says, wizardry um, called crystalmancy. And yep. there's a long history of mirrors being used as gateways for the dead to return to the living. Now, this particular mirror... Um, was used by a man to try to contact his dead relatives where, you know, when Adam and I discussed um, psychomantium, psychomantium, where you sit in a dark room with, um, with a mirror and you, you call out to the other side and eventually someone approaches mm-hmm. and, you know, it, it, it is a process. It, it is it is real as far as, you know, the how to do this and and documentation of people doing this is readily available. Right. Um, and if you're interested in that, you can go find our show on Psychomantiums. It will explain it more. Um, but this particular mirror was used for that. And the man that did it eventually went insane. 
Uh, as he said, he would, you know, just randomly see his dead relatives appear in this mirror and have mm. conversations with them. So it's yeah, kind of hard to say, of- was he, was he already insane? And this is what he thought was going on. Mm-hmm. Or did the fact that he was actually contacting relatives that were, had passed on, were on the other side, drove him insane. Well, I tell you a lot of, uh, a lot of times and, and you see it with, uh, especially a lot of the older investigators who investigated, um, UFOs and stuff like that. After a while of being involved in that paranormal, you know, mystical realm, it starts wearing on you mm-hmm. and and you do have, you know, mental problems that arise from it and, yeah. and stuff like psychomantiums or or necromancy or anything like that. It can create drastic changes in your personality in and the way your your brain works and whether it be fully physical as in you know it's just something basically that you've done to yourself through this these rituals or whatever or it being something from the paranormal coming across and messing with you there seems to be a a pattern mm-hmm. where if if you're too involved uh, you know, Keel had that issue where he started feeling himself going crazy and he had to back out of it for a while. And a lot of investigators like that do the same thing. So it's very possible that he went insane from the rituals that he was performing because something dabbling in it, something started dabbling in his brain and it messed him up. Yeah, I, I I always think that when you investigate something like this that's so outside of what human comprehension is, the the idea that this is even possible, you you always run that risk. It's it's like, you know, staring at the void, you know, the void consumes you. Yep. And and so in in, in cases like this, you can become so obsessed. Adam's right. It it changes you. Mm-hmm. You know, once you once you've seen evidence that even if only you believe, you know, the world is a different place. Yeah. So uh, the next item is the the toy monkey. Now the toy monkey appears in the Conjuring universe, with the toy getting its biggest appearance in the spinoff movie Annabelle Comes Home. But there's already something unnerving about the this particular toy monkey because it allegedly has a, a very terrifying power. It is said that the monkey is possessed by a demon and enjoys stalking its victims before eventually murdering them. Ooh. And this is the, you know, when I say a toy monkey, you know, you should know what I'm talking about. It's the stupid little toy that smacks the symbols together. Yeah. I was going to say holding the symbols and yeah, ching, you know, ching, 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 as you know, they were, claps. they were around all the time. Hell, I had one as a kid that somebody mm-hmm. gave me, but I mean, these toys are even older than me. Um, yeah. you know, I was a, a, a yeah. Hey Matt, look at this. I'm like, that thing is creepy. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Even you then, just look at one, find one in an antique shop 
or something. Look at it. That yeah. thing, not even the haunted ones, are creepy. Are creepy, yeah. It's like a lot of old toys, though. A lot of old toys, if you look at them now, they are creepy as hell. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know what it is about them, but they are creepy. Um, I remember one of, one of the girls had a, um, they had a teething thing that was like kind of a, a hard, but it was, it was a stuffed thing. It was a rabbit yeah. that had really long ears. And I always called it Spooky Bunny because it, yeah. looked, it looked so creepy. Yeah. Say here, you want to chew on chew on Spooky Bunny? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here, eat Spooky Bunny's ears. Uh, now, and you wonder why they had nightmares. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now look who their dad is. I mean, come on. Yeah, true. Um, I feel bad for uh, Michael. With, <laughs> he's gonna have it rough having me as a dad. Yeah, I mean the the older kids they didn't grow up with me in here talking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? Brooks and Piper, you know, it's, you know, they, they, they meet people that listen to the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, that's my dad. <laughs> yeah. Michael, uh, Michael tells people to go listen to Graveyard Tales. Yeah. That's great. He's got several, several of his classmates <laughs> he's yeah. got listening to us. So if you're in Michael's class, hey guys, thanks yeah. for listening. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, it is a different, uh, just as a tangent, it is kind of a different uh, thing yeah. growing up with your dad into the weird uh, paranormal stuff versus yeah. not having it. You know, it's like kids might look at you funny, but you're like, no, I'm cool. This is normal. This Y'all are not normal. Right. You know. But uh, bringing up the spooky bunny leads me to talk about the satanic idol that resides in the Warren occult museum and the reason i say that is because if you look at a picture of this idol it is the most ridiculous and terrifying thing you've ever seen <laughs> i mean it is not it doesn't look like the debt it's just it's bizarre looking yeah. um it has it has these wide eyes and this slim figure and it's i, I don't know it's a it's a very odd shape it it's not like it doesn't look like an action figure at all i mean it's like a a weird stuffed thing it's strange, but the, the idol itself was found in the woods of Sandy Hook in Connecticut. Mm. So the Warrens believed that it was used in satanic rituals. Yep. Now, the idol was found by a young hunter who encountered an old man in black robes soon after seeing it. Now, the hunter was put into contact with the Warrens, and the idol has been in the occult museum ever since. So there's not a lot more to that story. Uh, you know, I would love I to I wish know. there was. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I should have dug a little deeper, but we were trying to keep this broad. But this is an interesting thing to kind of poke around and find out more well, about. Well, write that down, Matt. We can do This particular satanic idol. It. I just remember I looked at the photograph of it, and I was like, what a strange-looking thing. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think if it looked more more regular i don't know it's just you got to see it it's it's really it's really funny looking um the next one is a shadow doll now now annabelle you know of course in real life doesn't look all that threatening Mm -hmm. but but the shadow doll manages to be the more menacing in appearance now it's it's pretty nightmarish i mean it 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 even makes chucky look cute (laughs) <laughs> um, 
but but Annabelle is said to have attacked and scratched people. The shadow doll is said to have the terrifying power of entering someone's dreams and killing them while they're sleeping. Oh, wow. Yeah. So listen, hmm. all, all you out there that like to send us links to buy haunted dolls, we don't, we don't want them. Well, there's a reason <laughs> that we don't buy them. Yeah. We'll, we'll look at them. Yeah. We're never going to buy one. No. Not, not even as a joke. No. I mean, and like I said, I would only have this stuff if I had a building somewhere way away from me that I could set everything up in, yeah, you know, right. and, and make sure I didn't bring it home with me. I'm not bringing a haunted doll that could attack me in my sleep in my house. All right. And lastly, the real Annabelle doll, as we mentioned earlier, resides in the Warren Occult Museum. And, and she is imprisoned in a holy box that, uh, as I mentioned before, is... Why has it got holes in it? Yeah. Don't Seal that thing up. Yeah, exactly. Don't let it get out. Yeah. It is sealed. And, and, it, <laughs> and it has a binding prayer that supposedly keeps the doll at bay. Um, the, like I said, the real doll is a Raggedy Ann doll. Doesn't look all that scary. But it, most people that have seen it in person say that it's just unnerving to to be around and look at. Yep. Now I can see that. Admittedly, the doll did not do everything it was shown to have done in the movies. So there is some artistic license taken with the Annabelle story. But the fact that the Warrens thought it prudent to keep the doll locked away in a holy box just shows how much they fear whatever is inside it. Yep. Um it is interesting. I, I was able to see a video um, on Lorraine Warren, and it has a a, a tour, a, a brief tour of the museum presented by her. And and she quickly tells the uh, the the camera, "Don't do not touch anything, anything. And if you do, tell me about it immediately." So that we can yep. take care of it. So, so, when you enter somewhere like that, even if you're a 100% skeptic, you know. That's going to unnerve you. Yeah. I mean, it, somebody is going to take the time to say this to me. It makes me feel like it doesn't matter if any, if any of this stuff is real. They believe that it's real. And that's going to make me want to believe that it's real. Yep. You know, it's so also I'm not going to test you, it. Right. It's also what you tell your kids when you walk into a fancy store. Do yeah. not touch anything. And if you touch anything, you better tell me about it because I'm probably going to have to pay for it because you probably broke it. Yeah, that's right. So, that's right. But yeah, I mean, why why would you go through the trouble of, you know, the whole don't touch anything unless you legitimately believed it yourself? Yeah. So that leads us to... to you know, our, our final segment of this show is how legitimate were Ed and Lorraine Warren? You know, were, were they, were they the, the real deal? Did they experience this stuff? Did they, um, report on it accurately on what they saw and what they experienced and the items that they collected, you know, are they to be believed without any doubt? Right. Or, um, are they total shysters that managed to pull the wool over people's eyes for some 30 years? 
um, mm-hmm. you know, produce a, a, a very popular and successful series of movies, uh, numerous books. Um, what do you think? Yeah, well, to, I've got some thoughts, but to, to start this little segment out, I, I found an article um, that kind of gets to the, the brunt of it. Are Ed and Lorraine Warren frauds? And this comes from an article on Wicked Horror, and I thought it would just be fun to read this kind of as uh, more of a conversation starter into this topic. Now, it says Ed and Lorraine Warren worked hundreds of cases, many of which have been turned into films for either theatrical exhibition or television and have themselves made numerous appearances on paranormal shows like World's Most Haunted and Paranormal State. They've achieved more success than virtually any other paranormal investigators in history and for a long time provided inspiration for people looking to get into the field. Now, this doesn't that in itself doesn't make them frauds. But many people point to this as proof that they were only in it for the money and the fame. And I can see that, and we'll talk about that more here in a second, but that, that's one of the things that people point to. But this goes on to say that people have come forward and claimed that the Warrens helped them immensely and solved their problems, but other families have suggested that they were duped and conned into believing the story as the Warrens related to them. One of the biggest detractors of the Warrens is neurologist Stephen Novella, president of the all-too-appropriately-named New England Skeptical Society. Um, He has spoken out against Ed and Lorraine for years, saying that they are nothing more than very good storytellers. So if you're interested, go look him up, and you can see a lot of the stuff that he has said about them. But as for the cases that inspired The Conjuring, that happens to be one of the most backed-up cases in the Warrens case log. The family is still adamant about what they experienced in the house. Obviously, things were very different from the film. Uh, This says that the gripping third-act exorcism was more of a mild uh, seance, like Matt was saying. Um, But the family still insists that their story is true, as well as the investigations conducted by the Warrens. Now, the family's oldest daughter, Andrea, even went on to write her own books about the events that took place in their home. But there are also families, the people behind the Annabelle case, for instance, who feel the Warrens were not always honest with them, and some who still have doubts as to whether or not anything supernatural ever occurred in their homes. So that brings me to my my thinking here, and, and we'll see, Matt, if you're kind of on the same page that I am. I think very early on, they they started out with good intentions and and good you know thoughts, like you and I. We're going to do this. We're going to investigate this, and we're going to try to help people, and we're going to get things through. And you can see that by the 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 business that they built to help train investigators and, and to teach people about that, and the fact that the Catholic Church recognized Ed Warren in you know in the exorcism realm that he was doing something correctly and he was doing it legitimately and sincerely and i i think even to the end of their life they sincerely wanted to help people but i think they got caught up and i think at at some point when things started getting televised and and put into print and everything that they kind of they saw the ability to make more money out of it, yeah. and like 
a lot of good people. They they got in, enticed by the money and by the stories, and they realized that some of these, if if they put to a a publication or a reporter that hey, this place is super haunted, you're gonna want to follow us through this, and da 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 da. And then it turned out to be kind of more mild. I think they might have sensationalized some of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like they, you know, their intentions were good, but they got, I hate, I don't want to use the word corrupted because that sounds bad, but I don't mean corrupted like they were corrupt people, but I think that their intentions got a little bit corrupted midway through their lives or a little bit later into we've got to make this to make money. So we need, this is our business. We've, we've got to do this. So not only were they helping people, but they were trying to make it fantastic. And, you know, their one article I read said after a certain case, and I can't remember the case, but after a certain case, things went from being ghosts to everything being demons. Mm-hmm. And we see that with certain TV shows that I'm not going to mention, but you start out and it's ghosts and it's spirits and stuff like that. And then as you need to make things more sensational, then everything becomes a demon and spooky and all this. And like you and I have said, not everything's a demon. It's not always a demon. Right. So when you see somebody saying everything is demonic, then you need to question that a little bit. And I, I think that's that's where I land with Ed and Lorraine, is that they're good people who got caught up. Yeah. You know, one thing that I agree with you 100%, you know, that that's always been my take on how the Warrens, you know, handled these, these cases, especially the higher profile ones, which... You know, they they got to a point where that's all they did. You know, if it if it wasn't high enough profile, then they didn't handle it. Right. Um, but I I also think that it's it's odd that there aren't a lot of stories where Ed and Lorraine came out and said, "Hey, there's nothing here," or "Look, we figured it out." You know, yeah. it was yeah. It was totally something not paranormal. You know, this is what was going on. Yeah, it it seemed it seemed legit, but hey, you know, we we were able to debunk this. You you don't hear a, a lot of that and possibly right. because th- that's not really newsworthy. You know, when when you go in and go, "Ah, you know, mm-hmm. it was it was this this tree limb was knocking against this window or there was some bad electrical wiring and it caused some things to malfunction or, you know, the house had, you know, it was too close to power lines and, the, you know, the family was having some health issues that were whatever. You, mm-hmm. you, you just don't get a lot of that from them. And like I said, I, I can concede the fact that it may be because the, that wasn't newsworthy. So why talk it's about not it? sensational you know, enough? They they went in. They said, "Hey, this is it." You know, that's not going to be a big publication. From my vantage point, you need to include those right alongside with all the big named sensationalized investigations yep. that you've done. Because again, to me, it it, it adds some validity to what you're doing. You know, I, I'm yep. I'm not going to go 100%. in and find this 
every single time I go. Yep. I'm, I'm bound to find a, a logical explanation for this. Now, they always claim that that was their intent when they went in, that they, they attempted to debunk it from the get-go. I just don't, I don't see enough of the evidence of that that uh, that that's really what they were doing. Now, right. I mean, you know, I look. I mean, we 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 dug up a lot on them, um, but most of the stuff that you find now is going to be all about the the major stories. Yeah. You know, so I'm sure some of that stuff exists out there, but I would like to see it put out there just as much uh as the stuff that was uh, the big big name investigations um that right. that would help but you know it's it's hard to say um i, I think that in, in a lot of the cases they they did go in and experience some things that they had no idea mm. and they had to start spitballing they were like this is really weird um and dangerous. And I think when you when you talk about a haunting that is putting people's lives and and health at risk, a, a, a demon is kind of where you default to. Sure. Sure. And and so if you're if you're in this kind of situation and you feel like that your life is in danger or the lives of your family are in danger, um at the time these were who you called. Right. And you know, you, you didn't you didn't mess around, you know, by calling Joe Schmo down the street paranormal investigator with a Ghostbuster symbol on his backpack. Um you you you, you called in the big guns. You're like, you know, look, I'm afraid one of us is gonna die. Mm-hmm. I, I need somebody that understands this stuff to come in and help. So, you know, maybe it got to a point where this was really the only things they were they were being called to do. You know, yep, where the cases could be that, it too. That, that could have been attributed to a demonic possession or, or haunting or Yep. So I, I I don't know. I don't know. I, I am not the big basher of Ed and Lorraine Warren. I am also not the big rah rah cheerleader for them either. No. Um you know, I think that I'm with you. I mean go ahead. Uh, I, I'm with you. I think, you know, I fall in the middle. I, I think a lot of what they did was legit, but I also think that they were they were not above reproach. You know, they. Yeah. I'm sure that some of the things they did, like anybody would when they got into their same situation, was sensationalized and you know because you're like oh i gotta have something for this tv camera that's here you know but as as you were talking about it i I realized that that's why you and i will probably never be approached by a tv show is because we do things where we're like oh there's nothing here Mm -hmm. you know we don't always find something or always dig something up about how scary a place is we do say, hey, you know, it's nothing here. And and we want to be that voice of, nope, there's nothing here that we could find. And so I think that's why you and I will never have <laughs> TV appearances. <laughs> but who knows? I mean, you never know. We have faces made for podcasts as well. Well, this is true. 
more you than me, but you know, whatever. But you know, <laughs> the Conjuring movies are, are very entertaining. Um, you know, they're they're pretty they're pretty scary. You know, if if you're into those movies, I've seen at least a couple of them. I know. Um, but what do you guys think? I mean, we want to hear your opinion. Um, like I said, if you didn't know who Ed and Lorraine Warren were when we started this show, you do now. So yep. what do you think? You know, look look into them a little bit. Um, you know, I, like Adam said, we've got people in the group that already have expressed opinions, good and bad, uh, mm-hmm. about this couple. So, you know, keep them coming. Let us know. When they, when you hear this episode, um, you know, throw out some stories that, that you've you've read or heard about the Warrens. You know, we want to share it. Share your opinions about it. And, you know, the best place to do that is our Facebook group. And if you're not already in it, our our Facebook group, we call it the Graveyard. Um, we've got over 5,000 amazing members who share things daily, whether it be personal experiences, you know, dad jokes, funny memes. We, you know, we get, um, you know... Amazing photographs from listeners who have visited locations that we have discussed mm-hmm. on the show. So love that. You know, yeah, it's it's amazing. So, uh, so you know, if you sound like if it sounds like that's something you would enjoy, jump in that group. But you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. Just go and search Graveyard Tales, and when you're done with that, go check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can find links to become a patron. And we always take time to thank everyone who has donated to the show. It it really allows Adam and I to keep putting out quality content for you guys, which is the reason we continue to do this. Um, Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Um, So, Adam, I I think this pretty well wraps it up for uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yep, me too. All right. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. It's not that funny. (laughs) (laughs) Then I'm going to edit in cricket noises.